Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. Before we jump into today's episode, I have a very exciting announcement, and that is that the five-day hosting crash course is back. My August round is here. If you don't know, this is my signature course, the five-day hosting crash course. I host it once a quarter, so four times a year. And the Q3 round is here. It will be the week of August 22nd through 26th. If you've taken this course before and you don't want to hear the details again, fast forward a couple minutes. But for those of you who are new here and and are interested in the course, let me tell you what it entails. And stay tuned, listen to this because I'm going to give you a special discount code that's going to get you an even better price off of the early bird pricing that you'll see right now. So officially today, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, tickets for the August round are on sale today. As soon as you finish this episode or right now, you can pause, jump over and snag your ticket. What the five-day hosting crash course is, is five days, five live webinars. I usually try to keep them to an hour long, but depending on how many questions we have each day, it may go up to an hour and a half each day. And For the first four days, Monday through Thursday, we cover a topic that I believe is essential to mastering before you can start a successful short-term rental business. Day one, we cover financials, how to run your numbers and analyze potential investments, how to track all your expenses, and know if this is actually a profitable business for you. Day two, we cover interior design. How are you going to stand out on the platform? We run through a ton of ideas on how to improve your property and make it stand out on a budget, how to get the most bang for your buck with your design. I share a ton of inspiration from actual short-term rentals that are killing it so you can see what real hosts are doing to make their properties stand out and be absolutely scroll-stopping. Not just that, but in addition to the aesthetic side of design, we also go in-depth and cover how to design the property to be a functional short-term rental. So we talk about how to structure the layout, how to organize your supply closet, what kind of furniture to buy for optimizing your short-term rental, materials that are really easy to clean, what kind of couches you should use, what kind of bed sheets you should use. We go into all of it. That's day two. On day three, we cover all of the legal stuff, taxes, getting an LLC, dealing with short-term rental regulation, all that, you know, boring side of short-term rentals, but the stuff that is so important and that you're going to need to have down if you're actually starting this, where to turn for permits, where to look for business licenses, how to know if your place requires business licenses or permits, where to turn for tourist occupancy taxes and all of that. 
And finally, on day four of the course, we cover probably my favorite topic, and that is automation and hosting remotely. I love talking about the numbers, I love talking about design, and I love talking about the legal stuff, but all of that is nothing if you don't actually have a way to operate and manage the short-term rental, and that is what day four is dedicated to. We really go in-depth on how to set up your team, what kind of team you need, how to train them, how to find them, how to set up the property in a way that it can run without you being there, and set it up so that you can be as involved or hands-off as you want to be. Finally, on day five of the course, it's an open-ended Q&A, and my promise every round of the course is that we, on day five, go as long as it needs to go. Anybody who tunes in live on Friday, I will get to your question. That is my promise every round of the course. I think the longest we've ever gone on a Friday Q&A out of the... This will be the fifth time I've hosted this course. The longest we've ever gone was, I think, four hours. So you guys always bring it and have a ton of questions. And we go in depth here. These are basically one-on-one consultations for everyone to hear. I think that this is actually one of the most beneficial days because you can actually hear questions from other hosts who may be in a similar situation as you and have similar questions and we can really bounce off of each other. So I always look forward to Friday in the course and that's where all the questions from the week will accumulate and we can just really get in depth on it. So anyway, as of today, tickets are on sale for this next round of the course. Again, it will be August 22nd through 26th. Today, I have early bird pricing with the ticket sales launched, but if you are listening to this, go ahead and enter the code NOVACANCY10 to get an additional $10 off of the course. This course even at full price without this discount and without early bird is still always under $100. That is my promise. I have literally talked to other, I don't know what you want to call them, influencers in the short-term rental space who have told me that I am nuts for charging less than $100 for this course. I have had people told me that I should be charging over $1,000 for this course. That's not what I want to do. I am so passionate about making this course affordable. I want you to make the money back from this course in just one night of rentals. If you walk away with just one tip or trick that gets you an extra booking or gets you a higher rate, this course will have paid for itself. Even if it just helps you avoid one mistake that would involve giving a guest a partial refund for something or refunding an entire night, this course will pay for itself. So go ahead, go grab your ticket today. Use code NOVACANCY10 for an additional $10 off the early bird pricing. That code is only valid until this Saturday at midnight. So hurry up. You have three, four days, depending on when you're listening to this. And I cannot wait to see you in the course. On the course page, you'll find a ton of FAQs to questions you may have about the course, who it's for, whether replays will be available, all that stuff. So go ahead, head over to the link in the show notes to sign up. And I cannot wait to see you there. All right, you guys. So for today's episode, I want to talk about what I am calling the hateful eight of hosting. And these are the eight things in hosting that are going to let you down and fail you sometimes and just make you want to pull your hair out and consider quitting. There are eight things that I've noticed that hosts will run into issues with no matter how long you've been doing this, where you're located, how much experience you have. All that aside, you will run into one of these eight, if not all of these eight issues in your hosting career. I would be shocked if someone didn't run into all of these eight. 
But that is not a reason to get discouraged. This is a reason to just put a plan in place so that when one of these eight things comes up, we know what we're doing and how we're handling it. So let's quickly run through the eight issues that you are going to run into as a host. Number one, your guests are going to let you down. Obviously, we know that that's probably the biggest fear that people have with hosting is their guests damaging things, stealing things, throwing parties. If you need to be convinced of that, go a couple episodes back and listen to my hosting horror stories episode, and that will show you that guests will let you down. Next, contractors. Whether it's just general maintenance and handyman or you renovating the property to get it up, contractors are going to let you down. It is very tough to find reliable work. It's out there, but you do have to pay for it. People will flake on you in this business. They will try to cut corners. I'm not trying to brand everyone that way. I have worked with some great contractors, but you better be willing to pay for the good ones, okay? Your cleaners, they are going to screw you over sometimes. Maybe not even intentionally, sometimes maybe intentionally, but no matter what, sometimes cleaners will make mistakes. Next, your city. Regulations, new permits, taxes being raised, all sorts of stuff coming with your city, maybe your county, whatever it is, the area that you're in, your local government is going to let you down sometimes with your short-term rental. Next, your property. Your property itself is probably going to let you down sometimes. Paint shipping or a water heater breaking. There are things in your property that will frustrate you. Old windows, a really rickety furnace that just doesn't want to turn on in the in the winter and you always have to get it serviced. Your property is going to let you down at some point in your hosting career. Next, your OTA. That is your online travel agency. For me, that's Airbnb. For you, that might be Verbo, Expedia, Booking.com. It could even be your direct booking website. Next, technology. Technology is going to let you down sometimes. That could be your smart lock failing, your TV not turning on, your smart thermostat not working, your ring camera not capturing that footage that you absolutely need to file a claim. Technology is going to fail you sometimes. Your Wi-Fi is going to drop and guests are going to ask for a refund. That happens. And finally, the last thing, the location of your property itself is going to let you down at times. Whether that's not getting enough snow and people not wanting to travel to your area as much because it's a snow destination or getting too much snow and people wanting to cancel trips because they are intimidated and don't know how to put on snow chains. Maybe you have hurricanes hitting. Maybe you've got a drought in the area or really low lake level. The location that you're in is going to let you down sometimes. People might ask for refunds because it's raining or it's not raining. Who knows? Sometimes, though, what you're trying to deliver with the location itself is going to fail for people. So for today's episode, I want to give you guys one tip for each of these eight areas that are going to disappoint you and fail you at sometimes. I'm going to give you one tip on how to prevent or mitigate some of the disasters that might happen with each of these eight. There's obviously so much more I could say, but we've got eight things to cover. And so for the sake of time, I'm going to give you just one tip for each of them. I may consider expanding this episode into eight future episodes and diving into each of these eight topics individually. But for today's episode, I want to give you guys the gist of just if you're starting in this business, what to expect, what are the problems that you're going to run into? So let's start off with guests. Guests are going to let you down. They're going to break your heart. They're going to disappoint you. It's going to happen. 
overwhelmingly, most guests are absolutely wonderful. And I'm talking like 99.999% of guests are just lovely. It's that small percentage that really makes you reconsider this entire business. So here is my number one tip for what to do when you're dealing with a difficult guest. And that is just get emotion out of it. I mean that on every level. When it's you interacting directly with the guest, stay professional, stay calm, do not get emotional and defensive. If they leave a bad review and you decide to reply to the review, only stick to facts, do not get emotional, do not get defensive. If you end up calling Airbnb and escalating an issue to them and you have to explain the situation to Airbnb, do not get emotional, do not get defensive. You have to make sure that you maintain that professionalism all the way through. And in some cases, maintaining that professionalism may even mean letting some cases go and not pursuing the guest to pay for one broken wine glass. I mean, I just, there are times for sure when it's worth filing a claim with a guest and you can tell they did some intentional damages or straight up negligence of the property. But a lot of times being emotionless might just mean not filing that claim at all, not going after that guest at all, and just chalking this up to the cost of doing business. Look, I know that that seems easier said than done, but I promise you that adopting this mentality will go so far in just making you less stressed as a host overall, not nitpicking all these little situations, not taking it personally. So my tip for dealing with difficult guests is just leave emotion out of it. Don't take it personally. Be professional. Next is what to do when a contractor lets you down. And my tip here is actually not what to do after you've found that you have an issue with the work a contractor did, but how to prevent that issue from happening in the first place. And the biggest thing here is over communicate. They might find it annoying too bad. Do not feel bad. Do not second guess yourself for wanting to see how things are done, for asking for progress pictures, for asking how they're going to do the project for asking which materials they're going to use, what days they're going to be working on it, who's in their crew, who's going to be helping them, how many people they need, what the timeline is. You are hiring them for a job. You are paying them. You have the right to ask as many questions as you need to, to feel comfortable with the project. I will say, of course, respect their expertise on this. If you're not an electrician, you know, asking in-depth questions about how they're setting up the electrical wiring isn't really going to explain anything to you if you don't even understand the lingo. So of course, respect their expertise and what their profession is and their trade and know that hopefully they are qualified to do the job you're hiring them for. But things like asking what time of day they're going to show up, making sure that they're answering calls and that they're being reliable with just showing up and delivering quotes, making sure that you see the scope of their work and what's included in that quote. As many times as you need to go back and forth to get those line items and that pricing correct before you give them a deposit, do it. You have every right to know what is included in the cost you're paying. So don't ever second guess yourself here or feel embarrassed or non-confrontational about knowing what services you're going to be getting. Please over-communicate here, and if it annoys them, that's a red flag that they're not the right contractor to work with. The next area of any Airbnb business that you're going to find will let you down sometimes is the cleaning. Your cleaners are going to disappoint you sometimes. Cleaning is the lifeblood of any short-term rental business. You will not have 
any chance of being successful without a good cleaner. They do so much checking inventory, staging the home, reporting damages and theft to you, actually cleaning the home, letting you know supplies, letting you know repairs that need to come up. So do not ever take your cleaners for granted. And I actually really encourage you to have a little bit of grace for them if they ever do make mistakes. They are human, just like you. You're going to make mistakes sometimes. So of course, if you're seeing a pattern of low quality performance, that's a different story. But occasional mistakes, have some grace on them because they are so valuable and you don't ever want to burn a relationship with a good cleaner. That being said, here is my number one tip for getting a good cleaner, and it is actually not in working with the cleaner itself or what to do if they've messed up, but in hiring them up front. I personally do not recommend ever working with a big cleaning company. If you hire a big brand name cleaning company that has 50 cleaners on its payroll, you're very likely to end up getting a brand new cleaner shuffled through your place after every single cleaning. And what that means is that you're never going to get somebody who really gets to know your property super well. If the guest rearranged the furniture, your new cleaner is just going to walk in and leave it the way it is. They're not going to know that there was a different layout that it's supposed to be restaged to. If somebody stole something, your cleaner is going to walk in and she's not going to know what's missing. If it's her first time in the property, how is she supposed to report if anything is stolen or even damaged? She might see something broken and assume that it could have been broken from a previous guest and the owner is aware and just hasn't repaired it. So I really don't like using a big brand name cleaning company because you don't get that consistency. Personally, my tip here is to hire an individual woman, man, whoever with their own cleaning business, and maybe someone who has three to four people working under them at the most. You want a small, tight-knit team, definitely not just one person, because if they ever get sick or something, or it's a really big mess, you want at least one other person that could take over that day or help them or get called in for backup. So I've kind of found the best number is like one key person with three or four people under them, enough to where you always have someone to show up, but you're still getting that consistency. It's a small enough group that really becomes familiar with your place. If you have a new cleaner coming in every time, they're going to get really neglectful of the property. Someone might walk in and say, okay, why am I going to spend time wiping down the baseboards? I'm not even going to be the next one cleaning this place. The next cleaner can clean the baseboards. And that's how you get these just ongoing issues with parts of the property being neglected. If you have a small dedicated team that is solely responsible for cleaning, you're going to see a lot better performance because they know, hey, if I don't clean the baseboards today it's on me. I'm the next cleaner coming in here after these guests. So I will still have to clean the baseboards eventually. May as well just do it now before it builds up and gets really bad. So my biggest tip for cleaners is in hiring a small team, skip the big brand name cleaning companies. It's just not the right fit when it comes to a short-term rental. You need somebody who can really, really get familiar with the property and build a relationship with you and relay information to you about supplies that are low, can restage the property, can let you know about damages and theft. Number four, the fourth thing that is going to disappoint you as an Airbnb host is local government. Even the most relaxed 
places that don't have any short-term rental regulation, they still might end up imposing some sort of higher tourist tax or something. So just make sure with this, my biggest tip here, if you're not already, make sure that you're on a Facebook group of local hosts in your area. For me, I have found that that is the number one best way to stay tuned in to new policies being proposed, new ordinances, voter initiatives, new laws, new regulation, all of that. And you can work with other hosts to refine your talking points, delegate who's going to be speaking at meetings and who's showing up. So simple tip here, stay involved. If you can possibly consider registering to vote in the domicile where your listing is located. If this really is your livelihood, it's possible that your vote may weigh more heavily in that area than down where you normally live if it's in a different area. Consider registering to vote and just get involved. Be on a Facebook group. And even if you're not posting on there every day, have notifications on for that group and just check in periodically to see if there are any whispers or any talk of new regulation coming down the pipeline that you have to be aware of. If it requires you going to some city council meetings, do it. You have to step up before it's too late. Once regulation like this gets pushed in, it never gets repealed. It will never be rolled back. So you have to make sure that you're up front paying attention before these things get enacted into place. Be on the side that's preventing them rather than trying to undo what's already been done because that's never going to happen. Next up is your property. Unfortunately, as much as you love your property, it's going to disappoint you sometimes. And I don't think that that will come as a surprise to anyone, whether you already live in a home that you own or you rent, you've seen how much work it takes to upkeep a property, constant issues, AC breaking, water leaking somewhere, the fridge going out. There are so many issues that come up with the property itself, bugs getting in, needing pest control, landscaping in the front weeds getting overgrown, you name it. Your property is going to disappoint you, especially when a guest reaches out and says, hey, hot water's not working in the shower. And it's like, oh, God, I was just there and the hot water worked. What could be happening? Things like this will come up all the time. Here, my best tip is just to have a really good handyman on call in the area. Have a few have somebody that is maybe more expensive, but you know they will show up on short notice when it's really urgent. Have someone else that's a little bit cheaper, but you know you can call them if it's not too urgent of an issue and you can wait. But really in these situations, when a guest calls you at midnight that hot water isn't working in the shower, you don't want to be scrambling at that point and trying to yelp different businesses. So my best tip here is to just Go through the list of things in your property that you may experience issues with. Plumbing, electrical, HVAC, appliances, pest control. Have a whole list of people in your contacts that you know you can deploy anytime that you have an emergency at the property. Next, your OTA, your online travel agency is going to let you down at times, whether that's Airbnb, Expedia, Booking.com, Verbo even a direct booking site, whatever you're using, you're going to have issues at some point with the way that your rentals are coming in. My best tip for you here, it's one that I know I'm going to get pushback on. A lot of people would disagree with me on this one, but my personal best advice here is do not be listed on every single OTA. I have seen so many hosts who really think that the best strategy is making sure you are listed everywhere 
every single platform you can think of. And I I get I get the thought behind it. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You want to diversify. But what I've seen is when you really talk to hosts, most of them will tell you something like, you know, 80% of our bookings come from Airbnb, 15% from Verbo, and then the last 5% come from Expedia, booking.com, hotels.com, whatever that might be. In my opinion, at that point, why are you bothering with that little 5%? I am very confident that if you did just ditch Expedia and booking and whatever those other little websites are that you're getting maybe one booking a month from, if that, I am pretty confident that if you just ditch those, you'd still probably get those nights filled on Airbnb or Verbo or a direct booking site if you're really funneling a lot of marketing into that. But these other little ones, and again, I'm just using these as examples. For some of you, maybe Verbo is your top performing platform and Airbnb doesn't do that well for you. Maybe some of you out there are crushing it on booking.com and Airbnb gets you barely anything. So adjust this to whatever OTAs are working for you. But I personally don't think that there's really any point in using more than three online travel agencies. There's already so many issues with technology and websites. We've all experienced glitches and sites crashing. I have seen so many times that, weirdly, I will have sworn in my head that I set a certain nightly rate on Airbnb, and then somebody will book it for something lower, and I have no memory of lowering those prices. I have had cases, I have heard so many cases of people getting double booked on websites where someone booked something on Airbnb and Verbo, it, the dates didn't get blocked out on Verbo automatically, and now they have a double booking and have to cancel someone. In my opinion, when you are listed on more than three OTAs, you're just opening yourself up to a lot more that can go wrong across that many websites, and I don't really see a benefit of doing that. I don't think you're getting that much more traction in return for the risk of inviting so many different platforms that can possibly glitch on you. I say stick to three at the most, and I would even include a direct booking site in those three. So if you're doing direct bookings, I would say only do two other OTAs outside of that. It's just too many different platforms to get to know their different policies, understanding how each one works, having to update each platform. I know that people will say, oh, you know, but I use Breezeway or Guesty or Hospitable, so I just make the changes on there, and those management softwares push out the changes. It doesn't really work as cleanly as you're thinking it does. Each site has its own little intricacies and different ways to change things. Some sites favor having over 50 listing pictures, some favor having less than 20. Every single one is different. And so I really think if you want to just master each site and really be at the top of search rankings on each one and know what you're getting into with each OTA, you're better off with just a few. Less is more here. Don't open yourself up to so many things going wrong across so many different platforms. The next thing that you're going to experience issues with when you're hosting is the technology in your home, whether that's your smart lock, your TV, your Wi-Fi failing, your ring camera, your thermostat, you name it, there are things that will go wrong with the tech stack that you have in your home. My best advice here is to have a backup plan for each piece of technology that you introduce. So when it comes to your smart lock, that's great. I recommend doing a smart lock. My personal favorite is the Schlage Encode, but make sure that you are not just relying on that digital keypad. 
you have to have a lockbox with a physical key somewhere on the property because if the battery dies on that lock, how are your guests getting in? When it comes to your thermostat, make sure that you're using a remote thermostat, one that you can control from an app on your phone. So if something happens and whatever reason the the hardware isn't reacting or something, you can still control the temperature for your guests and they could message you and tell you what they want it set to and you can do it from your phone remotely. There, of course, is always a chance that your Wi-Fi might fail you. Have very clear instructions on how to restart the router if that happens. I also recommend doing a battery backup for your router. We are in an area that is prone to getting some pretty frequent power outages, so having an uninterrupted backup power supply is super nice. We can get an extra few hours out of Wi-Fi from having this, so even if there is a local outage, as long as the outage is repaired within an hour or so, our guests will still have uninterrupted Wi-Fi connection that whole time, which is really nice because usually when the power goes out, it's due to a storm or some sort of weather situation, so self phone service gets pretty spotty at that time. So at least having that Wi-Fi uninterrupted means that they can still send iMessages or do FaceTime audio and connect through the internet. I will link the backup battery for the router that we use in our listings. I will link that in the show notes below if you are interested in purchasing one. And the final thing that is going to just disappoint you sometimes and let you down is the weather in your area. Whether that means too much snow and people wanting to cancel trips because they don't know how to get up there or not enough snow and people booked because they wanted to build a snowman and now they can't. Uh, There could be hurricanes or wildfires in your area. There could be a lot of bugs in the area. Maybe it's mosquito season or something like that. My best tip for you here is to put some sort of language in your description, house rules, pre-booking message, wherever it is, put some sort of language in writing in your listing that says you do not give refunds for acts of God or weather that is outside of your control and you are not able to issue refunds for that. Rain or shine, snow or not, bugs or not, Whatever issues are going to come just from the area you're located in that is outside of your control and just put a little disclaimer in there that clearly says you are booking this regardless of what the weather is during that time. Whatever is happening, we are not able to issue refunds for weather that you end up being unhappy with. You could also put a line in there that says if you are traveling during these months of the year, you may expect to see some extra critters or bugs or mosquitoes around the area. We do our best to keep these at bay and we have routine pest control, but any pests that do show up are not a fault of the owner and will not result in a refund. So putting a little bit of protective language about the location and things that are just completely out of your control goes a long way here. So there you have it. The eight areas of hosting that will disappoint you at some point or another are your guests, contractors, cleaners, your city regulation, local government, your property itself, your OTA, technology, and the location that you're in. I'm going to do one more plug for my five-day hosting crash course because we do spend time covering how to prepare yourself for all of these issues in that course. We really go through what to look for in a cleaner, how to hire them, how to communicate those expectations, how to set up the place that makes it easier for your cleaners to do their job. 
We go through scheduling quarterly maintenance and what should be on your quarterly maintenance checklist so that you can be proactive with issues that may come up with your property, that you're getting your water heater or furnace or whatever it might be checked out routinely. We spend time on where to look for local regulation and how to stay on top of that and make sure you're doing everything legally. So if you are serious about hosting, I really, really hope to see you in the five-day hosting crash course for the August round. It will be, again, August 22nd through 26th. And if you sign up before this Saturday at midnight and use the code NOVACANCY10, you can get an additional $10 off of the early bird pricing. So double dip those discounts. For this week's Airbnb quick tip, I have one of the coolest little hacks that you can go do in minutes, and that is go install the Chrome extension Air Review. Air Review is one of the niftiest little hosting tools that I have ever seen. It is a completely free Chrome extension, and when you add it, what it's going to allow you to do is see, this is so cool, you guys, it's going to allow you to see reviews that potential guests have left for other hosts. So if you've ever gotten the feeling from talking to a guest, going back and forth, doing their inquiry with them, if you've ever gotten the feeling that they're asking a lot of questions and they're going to be a super picky guest and you're just kind of curious, like, hmm, I wonder what sort of reviews they have left hosts in the past you'll be able to see that with the Air Review Chrome extension. I have actually ended up once, one time ever, I actually did decline hosting somebody. I declined her inquiry because I saw the reviews that she left other hosts and they were all so terrible and so obnoxious. I was like, nope, not dealing with this lady. Absolutely not. It's only come in handy that one time, and I don't use this to screen every single guest. I really only use it when I'm going back and forth with someone, we're in the pre-booking phase, and I just get that little sense that they're going to be a very high-maintenance guest. I love being able to just go on air review and just check what reviews they've left other hosts to get a feel for them and what kind of guests they would be in my place. I love this extension. It's totally free. This is not sponsored or anything. I... I just, I think it's the niftiest little tool out there. So I am linking how to download that Chrome extension in the show notes below. Go install it. It takes seconds to get it up and running. Again, I don't use this every single time. It's only like when I just get that little nagging feeling that I want to check on the guest and just do a little bit more digging before I just pre-approve them. I go check this out and that will tell me everything I need to know. For this week's question of the week, I was asked, should I remove my cleaning fee altogether and just bake my cleaning rate into my nightly prices? I do not recommend doing this. I totally get the appeal. I know that there's been a lot of hate for cleaning fees out there and people wonder, hey, how come hotels don't charge a cleaning fee? Why do Airbnbs charge them? Look, as far as why hotels are pricing it that way, I can't speak to that, but I can tell you why I think you should charge a separate cleaning fee as an Airbnb host. Let's say that your cleaning fee is $100. That's what you charge guests and that's what you pay your cleaner. Whether a booking is one night or five nights long, your cleaner still has to clean the entire place. There's probably going to be a bigger mess if they've been there for five nights, but your cleaner still has to sweep all the floors, vacuum, mop the floors, 
They still have to do all the laundry. It doesn't matter if someone was there for one night or five nights. You still need all the bedding changed. You need all the towels washed. You need showers wiped down. You need counters wiped down. You need the sinks and toilets wiped. And so if you're still paying your cleaner that full hundred dollars, doesn't matter if the person booked one night or five nights, your cleaner still gets the same payout. How exactly are you going to bake that into the nightly rate? Let's say that you decide that you're going to add $20 per night to your nightly rate to bake in that cleaning fee. So if someone books five nights, then yeah, you've baked an extra $20 in. So if someone books five nights, you're going to get that $100 extra to pay your cleaner. But if someone books four nights, three nights, two nights, or one night, are you really okay just getting a $20 cleaning fee if the person booked one night? So let's say you decide, okay, I'm going to add $100 to my nightly rate so that even if somebody books one night, I still get the cleaning fee. Well, now if someone books five nights, you're charging them a $500 cleaning fee. You're probably not even going to get booked for five nights because your price is going to be so much more expensive by the time you've added that much in. I know that people like to shit talk the cleaning fees, and I think they have a point when you as a host demand too many things of your guests, but if you don't have this extensive checklist and you are being respectful that I'm charging the cleaning fee so that we can actually pay our cleaner to clean it, then I think there's nothing wrong with charging a cleaning fee. Ultimately, the one number that the guest is going to care about the most is just that final amount that they're paying, including all the nightly rates added up, pet fees, Airbnb service fees, taxes, and the cleaning fee. The cleaning fee really is meant to be something that is a flat rate that is charged for every reservation, doesn't matter how many nights they stayed. And so doing it this way, I think is just the cleanest, simplest, easiest way to manage it. As long as your cleaning fee is right in line with other competitors in your area and other comparable properties, you're okay. Guests know now to expect a cleaning fee. It's standard with Airbnb. No one is not going to book you because you have a cleaning fee. I know people talk a big game and say that they hate it, but as long as you're respectful of the guest's time and not making them do an extensive chore list, charge the cleaning fee. It is totally fine, and it's the simplest way to structure this. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? This was the first time ever... I actually have no idea who I think is the Airbnb hole or where I stand on this issue. So I need you guys, after you listen to this episode, to DM me and tell me your thoughts because I, I don't know. I don't know who I side with on this. Let me read you the situation. Someone posted in one of the hosting Facebook groups and said, I had a guest check out today and a neighbor called and said they had a long boa constrictor with them and three iguanas. I contacted the guest and let them know they had violated the no pets policy for my B&B. They said they had one bearded dragon lizard and the snake was a stuffed animal. Possible since the neighbors were not on my property, but about 15 feet away. I told them they owed a hundred dollar fine for the violation and I would take it to Airbnb. Guests always threaten to give me a bad rating if I make waves. Any advice here would be appreciated. You guys... I have no idea how I weigh in on this. This is the first time ever I don't have a strong opinion. You guys know week after week when we do this segment, I am, oh, I am hard with people, okay? I very clearly can pick who the Airbnb hole is and who isn't. I'm stumped on this one. My initial thought was 
you know, don't charge them. If there were no damages that happened and they just brought the pets in and took them out, I think it's nuts to travel with a 15-foot-long boa constrictor. But, you know, if you came in and there was nothing wrong with the place and you're really just getting the report from the neighbor, to me, at the end of the day, if the guests made it look like the same way it was when they checked in, don't charge them the pet fee. That was my initial thought. Then I started reading the comments on this post and somebody was saying that when it comes to reptiles, I've never owned a reptile, okay? I I don't know anything about this world, but some commenter had said that when it comes to reptiles, they carry these certain pathogen germs on them. I don't really know what all this is about, but they said that iguanas, bearded dragons, snakes, they all carry these certain germs on them. And when you deal with them, you have to wash your hands immediately after. You definitely would have to sanitize the entire place more thoroughly than just a regular cleaning. Anybody who's immunocompromised and would check in, anyone who might be immunocompromised and would be checking into the Airbnb after these guests would be at risk of getting sick or infected from whatever this pathogen is that these reptiles carry. So at that point, I was like, okay, I just don't know anything about reptiles. I guess, yeah, you have to charge $100 because there's so much more work in in cleaning this. You know, and then it was the fact that the guests lied and it's just ethically you should charge them because that's unfair to the guests who are upfront about bringing pets. They have to pay the pet fee, but these people who lie don't have to. So then I started siding with the host on this and thinking you should charge the guests. But then I read another comment from someone who said that this pathogen thing is overblown and it's not actually that big of a deal and that really the pet fee is to vacuum extra hair and shedding from dogs and reptiles don't shed and most likely they were kept in a cage the whole time. So really you don't need to charge a pet fee if it's a pet like a reptile. I have no idea where I stand with this one, you guys. I don't know the first thing about owning reptiles or traveling with them as pets. Do we think that it would be a 15-foot-long stuffed animal? That's what the guest said? I don't know. I, I don't even know why I picked this one this week because I don't even have an opinion, but I just found this story so shocking I had to share it with you guys. Please DM me and tell me who you think is the Airbnb hole here. Do you think that the guests brought in a 15-foot boa constrictor and three iguanas and are lying about it? Do we think that the neighbor who spotted this is the Airbnb hole and is just meddling in business that's not theirs? Do we think that the host needs to just let this go and stirring up drama about this when there was no damages is overblown? I really, I don't know. I need you guys to weigh in on this one. So... This week, we have, I don't know, maybe zero Airbnb holes, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. I'm dying to know your thoughts on on this whole situation. How would you feel as a host if you found out a guest brought a 15-foot boa constrictor and three iguanas into your property? That just, that just shocks me. I, I, I have no words on this one. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!